hither. Let's see what's on YouTube. Ben Bass defeats Rick Caruso. All right. Watch Los Angeles Mayor. That's awesome. Baffling megaliths, underground cities, and lost civilization. Mind-blowing ancient. K-A-M-P Student Radio At the University of Everett Stoner And K-P-Y-T Pasquayaki Tribal Radio On the Res with Trish Show It seems that Kerma is one of the ancient civilizations of the Nile. Most people will consider Egypt the most famous ancient civilization in African history. There is a mistake in understanding ancient Egyptian culture as a long, unbroken line of pharaohs governing the banks of the Nile for millennia. In addition to anything else, Egypt was united into three kingdoms during the Old, Middle and New Kingdoms. There were centuries of infighting and confusion between these kingdoms, known as the Intermediate Periods. The Nile was not entirely under the control of Egypt's three great kingdoms. Kerma, a southern neighbour who outlasted this line of pharaohs, faced significant competition from the Middle Kingdom. Located in modern-day Sudan approximately 5,500 years ago, the Kerma culture was named after its capital city. Kerma is one of ancient Nubia's most important archaeological sites. They weren't desert rabble troubling Egyptian frontier towns. Several tombs, graves, and residential quarters of the central city have been discovered through excavations and research. At its height, the Kerma civilization was at least as large as ancient Egypt, according to recent findings of other Kerma settlements. From the second to the fourth cataract, Kerma controlled over 200 miles, 322 kilometers, of the Upper Nile. An outpouring of artifacts could rival anything Egypt produced at that time in their significant capital, which was dominated by a massive temple. It was ruled by the Nakada kingdom before the Kerma rose to power. Precursors to the first Egyptian pharaohs, the Nakada kings aspired to conquer Nubia and rule the entirety of the Nile. They controlled much of the Nile until around 2400 BC, when they founded the Egyptian Old Kingdom. After the fall of the Old Kingdom, control over the southern part of the Nile was weakened, and eventually lost. It appears that the Kerma moved into the abandoned sections of the upper, southern Nile during the period between the tremendous Egyptian kingdoms. It had faced a powerful southern rival by the time Egypt stabilised in 2000 BC. As a result of the reality of the situation, the pharaohs of the new united Egypt accepted Kerma as their neighbour. Along the length of the Nile, Kerma became a major trading centre and exporter of cultural goods, including ornaments and jewellery made of blue fares. The Egyptians, however, never forgot their lost lands, and they viewed the occupied territory to the south as theirs in the right. Not only were the Kermites peaceful neighbours, but they were also dangerous rivals. There were frequent border clashes, 
but both sides avoided pitched battles, fearing the other's might. Kermites and Egyptians were unable to penetrate each other's territory significantly. With access to sub-Saharan Africa's resources and trade routes, the Kama experienced a cultural boom during this time. To the north, a constantly present threat was Egypt's aggressiveness. Their plan worked out well. In addition to being the shortest-lived golden age in Egyptian history, the Middle Kingdom ended around 1800 BC. Kerma sought to... No matter how disconnected you may feel from the madness of the modern world, no matter how distant you may feel from your purpose to serve humanity, there has never been a more important time on this planet for you to unlock, develop, and express your innate gifts as a healer than now. My name is Don Oscar Miro Quesada. I am a teacher, healer, and ceremonial adept initiated into both Kamaska and Pacocuna ancestral medicine lineages of Heart Island, South America, having been born and raised in Peru. I'm also an author, transpersonal psychologist, and friendly holographic projection of your soul's beauty. It is my mission to reawaken sacred trust between humankind and the natural world by allowing ancient shamanic life paths to inspire the direction of our modern society, to help potential light workers like you embody what it truly means to be human, what it means to be living medicine for the entire sacred web of life. It is likely that you've always known, deep within your heart, that you are here to heal humanity and our planet. To do so, the first steps on this path are to connect with the Earth's honoring ceremonial practices and sacred healing wisdom of our shamanic ancestors. Perhaps the chaos and clutter of today have left you feeling helpless about expressing your natural abilities to walk in balance as a healing light on our planet. You see, most people associate shamanism only with tribal cultures, but there is a shamanic path that is aligned with the needs of our modern world, which you can learn and apply today. In this special 60-minute event, I will introduce you to the medicine of Aini, which derives from the native Andean wisdom of Heart Island. You'll learn that Aini is a collective medicine that both teaches you about balanced human relationships and how to weave a fabric of trust and communion with life as a whole. You'll discover how Aini can strengthen your relationship to those around you and help heal the planet through the sacred principle of today for me, tomorrow for you. You'll explore ways to expand your consciousness by allowing a heartfelt exchange with all of Earth's creatures. And that's not all you'll experience from this event, because I will be teaching you so much more. In these unsettled times, it is important to rise to your calling and learn the ways to awaken the healing light within you. Through the practice of Aini, you'll be able to tap into the ancestral shamanic healing arts and uncover your essential truth that you are here to awaken humanity.
influencers on Instagram have a deep, dark secret about how they make money selling their art. And I want to show it to you because if you're clever, you can actually use it to make money selling your art off of all their efforts. Let me show you how. So I'm sure you've been to Instagram and you see artists sharing their work. Abstract art, graffiti, street art, portraits, illustrations, drawings, stuff like that. Well, here's the funny thing. They go and share this on Instagram and then what they do is they make a five-figure a month income or more from selling their art to their followers. And they keep most of that income as pure profit. Pretty clever way to make money, right? Well, I'm going to show you what's an even cleverer way than that. And the ironic thing is, it's a lot easier because it doesn't require any influencer power. It doesn't require any followers whatsoever. It doesn't require an upfront investment. You can do this from home. It doesn't require staff either. The catch is, I can't explain it to you all in a YouTube ad. So if you click on the upper right-hand corner on mobile or the lower left-hand corner, if you're on desktop, I'll tell you how to do it. I'll even show you everything step-by-step. Step. The only catch is, I can't explain it to you here. And if you're a little bit skeptical, you should be, but take a look at all the people that are flashing across the screen right now. They clicked on the exact same link and have gone on to do exactly what you're looking to do. Look at all those results, okay? So figure out how they did this, click the link, that's it. advantage of Egypt's weakness caused by dynastic infighting in the decades and centuries. The Hyksos, an alien dynasty in Egyptian history, emerged from this alliance. A coalition with the Hyksos was proposed by Kerma in 1650 BC, surrounding Egypt with enemies. Egypt was ruled by foreign pharaohs under the Hyksos and Kerma for the first time. Avaris was the new capital of the Hyksos, who led the northern part of Egypt. Kerma controlled all of the southern Nile. Egyptian kings who remained independent were disabled, confined to a small area around Thebes, their previous capital. As a result of the Kermites' control, the kingdom of Kerma entered a golden age. We know virtually nothing about this person from their internal records, which is strange for a civilization that was so great. Egypt's records identify Kermites as Nubians, so much of what we know about them comes from those records. Only a tiny number of Kerma people lived in cities, indicating the Kerma culture was primarily rural. During this specific age, Nubians cultivated agriculture, fished, hunted, and raised livestock. Furthermore, they also worked in ceramic and metal workshops. In the Kerma culture and archaeology, the most visible remains are the defufas. As funerary chapels and temples, these substantial mud-brick structures display a high level of sophistication in their design. The mud-brick construction keeps the interior cool despite the hot Nubian sun. Royal burials that illustrate the complex social hierarchy of the time are associated with this site. One of the largest was the Western Defufa, a massive temple in the center of Kerma. In some Defufas, gold leaf inlays were also inlaid on the walls. At the time of 1700 BC, Kerma had a population of 10,000, up from 2,000. In addition to showing exceptional skill in working blue fairs, their artifacts differed in composition and theme from those in Egypt. Unique designs demonstrate that the Kerma people developed new techniques for working on artifacts without being influenced by Egypt. 
It is the only artifact along the Nile that displays architectural inlays and glazed quartzite, a method developed in isolation. With their fearsome archers, the Kermites were also great warriors. A problem arises, however. Most Kermite military victories were won at the expense of the Egyptians. The Egyptian record is suspiciously quiet on the Kermites, even though artifacts looted from Egypt confirmed that their invasions were successful. The Kerma kingdom has three phases, early Kerma, middle Kerma, and classic Kerma. Little information about the early or ancient Kerma period lasted from around 2500 to 2050 BC. Between 2250 BC and 1750 BC, Kerma was the great rival to the Egyptian south. The classic Kerma, their golden age, followed the Hyksos conquest of Egypt, lasted between 1750 and 1500 BC. The rulers of Kerma successfully conquered the Egyptian fortresses and gold mines in the second cataract of the southern Nile during this final period. Pharaoh Thutmose I, in 1500 BC, finally met the kingdom's match when it expanded into Egyptian territory. In Egypt, Thutmose ruled the 18th dynasty, the last and most significant of the unified Egyptian kingdoms, the New Kingdom. He led a powerful and revitalized Egyptian army south and conquered Kerma territory. Since the Kerma... Kermites had been Egyptian rivals for centuries, Egypt had reclaimed their lost lands. Kermites, however, did not capitulate quietly. This proud person refused to let their culture be absorbed by their great northern neighbor for 200 years, leading to Egyptian rebellions. As a result of the Kermites' extermination, their descendants lived in the region known as the Kush. Rujum el Hiri, a labyrinth of ancient stones on the Golan Heights. The ruins of Rujum el Hiri, known as the Stone Heap of the Wildcat, are one of the biggest and oldest stones in the Israeli occupied Golan Heights. In addition to being mysterious, it is also one of the strangest. A massive circular structure located about 16 kilometers, 10 miles east of the Sea of Galilee, went unnoticed for centuries before being formally discovered in 1967. A site of some significance, located at about 515 metres above sea level in the highlands. The purpose of the site is only guesswork in most cases. For the ancients, what practical utility did this vast stone palace serve? Are we talking about the Neolithic period or the early Bronze Age? Gilgal Rephaim, the Hebrew name for the site, means Wheel of Giants, possibly about the ruins. It looks like a labyrinth to the modern eye. The site is almost invisible at ground level, which explains why it was overlooked for so long. An aerial view is necessary to determine the actual size of the site. Several digs have been carried out at the site since it was catalogued. Based on the volcanic history of the area of Golan Heights, basalt rocks are believed to have been used to build the structure. Despite its scale, the structure was fundamental to the people who built it. 
The partially worked stones for Rujmalhiri were stacked to a height of 2 meters, 6.6 feet, and weighed between 37,500 and 40,000 tons, 34 to 36 million kilograms. Over 25,000 person days would have been required to build the massive monument, according to experts. The site has been nicknamed Stonehenge of the Levant for its sophistication and organization in construction. Several concentric rings surround a central cairn. The largest outermost ring measures approximately 145 meters, 476 feet east-west, and 155 meters, 509 feet north-south. The outermost wall is about 3.2 to 3.3 meters thick, 10 to 11 feet, and measures approximately 2 meters. Two openings in the ring have been blocked by boulders that have fallen. Thirty-six spoke-like walls seem to have been randomly placed between some cores. Some of the inner rings appear more oval than the outermost ring. As an example, wall three seems to bulge southward for unknown reasons. Cairns surround what appears to be burial chambers at the core of the innermost ring. The room and cairn are much later, added about 1,500 years after the initial construction of the rings, not some elaborate tomb or mausoleum. The site's central cairn is an irregular stone heap, approximately 20 to 25 meters, 66 to 82 feet in diameter, and 4.5 to 5 meters, 15 to 16 feet tall. A shell of small and medium-sized stones surrounds the central cairn. The monument is estimated to be 5,000 years old, but few artefacts have been recovered from Rujum el Hiri, which might help to date it. A few recovered artefacts indicate that the rings were constructed during the Early Bronze Age, and the cairn was built during the Late Bronze Age. This site dating has been clarified by several recent and extensive studies carried out in the 21st century. Studies indicate that the area was built between the early 4th millennium BC and the mid-3rd millennium BC. Before Rushmilhiri was buried in the Late Bronze Age, what were the ancients doing there? A hypothesis suggests that ceremonies were held at the site on the shortest and longest days of the year. According to some research, the first sun rays shined through the northernmost gate opening on the longest day of the year, suggesting astronomical alignment. To thank Ishtar and Tammuz, the gods of fertility and protection, for a successful harvest, the region's inhabitants could have worshipped the site. Other researchers believe the site served as an ancient calendar as well. A marker rock was placed between the sun's rays at both equinoxes to trace the sun's path. Fall and spring equinoxes may be indicated by additional notches on the walls. Are the stars to blame? The night sky may have influenced the site layout and was used for astronomical observations. It was possible to make religious calculations by observing the constellations. It is not the only theory. Archaeologist Rami Orav suggests the site was once a Zoroastrian Dachma or Tower of Silence. Birds removed flesh from the bones of the Zoroastrian dead by placing them at the center of the site. The tomb in the central dolmen supports the theory that the site was used to bury influential individuals. Despite this, the tomb appears empty, 
and no human remains have been found. We know nothing about this strange and isolated place since we have many theories. Despite so many theories, it is clear that the site remains an enigma, but perhaps the most compelling hypothesis is that of an ancient calendar. During the late 1990s, archaeologists Jonathan Mizrachi and Anthony Avini researched the site and supported this theory. According to their research, the entrance to the centre opened on the summer solstice's sunrise. There were also notches in the walls that marked the fall and spring equinoxes. While the walled chambers were excavated, no ceremonial artefacts were found indicating that the rooms were used as residences or storage rooms. Did Rushmelhiri have permanent stargazers? According to Mizraki and Aveni, the site's walls pointed to the rising star for a specific period. It was also believed to help predict rainy seasons. Millions of visitors visit the site each year from across the globe, making it a popular attraction even today. Furthermore, New Age practitioners who advocate a return to nature gather to view the first sun's rays between the rocks during the equinox and summer solstice. Lula. In most people's minds, monolithic pyramids are associated with Egyptology, especially the three great pyramids at Giza. In addition to these enormous and imposing stone structures, many... This holiday season, it's gonna be busy. It's gonna be emotional. But it's gonna be worth it. With McCormick, it's gonna be great. Ancient pyramids are still left to be discovered. Mexico is home to the world's largest pyramid, not Egypt. Spanish explorers heard rumors of a vast pyramid and temple complex dedicated to the Mesoamerican god Quetzalcoatl and the rain goddess Chiconauquiohitl as soon as they arrived. A vast structure like this remained undisturbed and undiscovered for centuries after the Spanish colonized the Americas. Cholula's Great Pyramid, literally hidden under their feet, contributed to its great size. Its size was twice that of the largest pyramid at Giza, so the Spanish mistakenly thought it was a hill. Despite having built churches elsewhere in the Americas to establish Christian dominance, they may have accidentally built one on the monument here. There was no way to see the pyramid because it was so large. The city of Cholula, Mexico, is located about 6.4 kilometers, 4 miles, west of Puebla. Cholula was an important center of commerce as well as a sacred city. Outside of Spain, it was even considered one of the most beautiful cities. It is believed that the pyramid was constructed about 2,000 years ago, making it older than most Mesoamerican architecture. At the time of its construction, Cholula was transitioning from a city to a prominent city. Among the cultures that populated the town were the Olmecs, the Mesoamericans of Teotihuacan, the Toltecs and the Aztecs. Pyramids have six layers built on top of each other. The stages of construction and origin of the temple complex surrounding the robust structure, however, remain a matter of debate among archaeologists. From around the 3rd century BC, construction of the pyramid began and it was expanded and added five times over the years. 
More than 30 football fields, or 160,000 square meters, are under the pyramid's final base. A very different shape than the Egyptian pyramids, the pyramid is estimated to have a volume of 4.45 million cubic meters, 15.7 million cubic feet. Only five surviving Egyptian pyramids are taller than the Great Pyramid of Cholula, which stands at 66 meters, 217 feet. Giza's Great Pyramid stands 136 meters, 446 feet tall, with steeper sides than the pyramid in Cairo. Perhaps its squat wide shape contributed to its long unknown status. Around the 10th century AD, the Toltecs constructed the Great Pyramid of Cholula, but the structure's core is much older. This man-made mountain was essential in pre-classical mythology and religion. According to historians, the temple complex was constructed to honor Quetzalcoatl, the Aztec god of learning and wind. In addition to performing religious rituals, Cholula's people sacrificed humans there. It was even a place where children were offered. There was an uneasy alliance between Cholula and Tenochtitlan, the great city of the Aztecs, which was the last pre-Columbian custodian of the site. Due to Cholula's religious significance, Aztec leaders went there for anointing. Aztec narratives indicate that they believed a mythical giant named Selhua had constructed the pyramid, but they had no idea who built it. A steady decline in Cholula's population was caused by the shifting power among indigenous groups during the 7th or 8th century. As the Toltec Chichimeca entered the area between the 9th and 11th centuries, new pyramid temples were built near the Great Pyramid of Cholula, replacing the old complex. Cholula had already begun to decline by this point. Due to neglect, the adobe bricks used to build the pyramid could not withstand humid weather conditions and became fertile ground for fast-growing vegetation. Mountain ranges and green hills gradually obscured the Great Pyramid. When Hernán Cortés arrived with his Spanish conquistadors, Cholula was still Mexico's second largest city, with approximately 100,000. Cortés discovered the alliance between Tenochtitlan and Cholulas, one he considered a threat to Spanish interests. As a result, thousands of people were slaughtered in a preemptive attack. Approximately 3,000 people were killed, according to Cortes. Under the vegetation, the entire temple complex, including the Great Pyramid, disappeared. The Pyramid of Ch Grinch-themed Hershey's Kisses milk chocolate. Get them before he does. Of Cholula was replaced with a church. Excavations at the Great Pyramid of Cholula date back thousands of years. Swiss-born American archaeologist Adolf Bandelier was the first to study the area. Having arrived at the site in 1881, he spent three years conducting research and examining the site before publishing his findings in 1884. Most of his work involved unearthing burials and collecting skulls, but he also made field notes and drew the first site plan. In 1931, the first excavations began, followed in 1966 by the second. 
There would be two further expeditions to the site due to the increasing awareness about the mysterious man-made mountain. The 1931 project was overseen by architect Ignacio Marquina. The site supervisor, Marino Gomez, did most of the work at the site while he spent comparatively little time there. By digging the tunnels, he mapped and modeled the successive layers of the pyramid. Human burials, altars, and evidence of the intricate decoration of the pyramid were discovered during excavations at the site. Cholula's modern inhabitants continue to revere the rediscovered pyramid. As well as being an invaluable archaeological site, it is a tourist attraction. An average of 220,000 visitors visit the area each year. The Spanish church atop the pyramid still stands, but it seems insignificant compared to the grand Mesoamerican architecture beneath it. With their attempts to overthrow indigenous religions with their own, the Catholics only brought attention to the powerful forces and beliefs that existed before they arrived. The underground city of Dirinkuyu, Turkey's Cappadocia region, is known for its deepest excavated underground city, Derinkuyu. Natural wonders like fairy chimneys and eroded caverns make Cappadocia a unique geological phenomenon. Over the centuries, various people have used its extensive subterranean dwellings and secret tunnel passageways for shelter. Derinkuyu is the most famous of these homes in the region. With a depth of more than 250 feet and a capacity of 20,000 people, this multi-leveled city provided all the necessities an entire population would need to survive. Layers of ash were spewed from volcanic eruptions several million years ago. The tuff consolidated over time into a soft, easily carvable, relatively stable rock. In ancient Anatolia, people carved their homes into hillsides and underground. In the region, there are many rock-cut dwellings such as Derinkyu. To date, it is the deepest. Excavation of a surface home led to the discovery of subterranean dwellings in 1963. As a result of a collapsed wall, an underground passageway was created. When the workers explored the hall, they discovered it led more profoundly into a labyrinth. Astonishingly, it turned out to be true. Researchers discovered kitchens, bedrooms, bathrooms, food storage rooms, oil and wine presses, wells, weapons, storage areas, churches, schools, tombs, and domestic animal stables on eight of the 18 levels of the city. The rooms varied in size to meet the needs of different people. In small spaces, rock-cut graves were carved, while large areas served as community centers and schools. Thousands of smaller ducts distributed the air by 50 ventilation shafts throughout the city. Self-sufficiency was the goal of the people. According to some archaeologists, Derinkuyu is connected to another underground city in Kaimakli by an 8-kilometer passageway. Cappadocia's various civilizations may have cooperated in this way. It is unclear when and who built Derinkuyu. Anatolia was dominated by the Hittites between 1600 BCE and 1200 BCE. Multiple invasions and wars may have led to the collapse of the Hittite Empire after this period. As a result, the Phrygians migrated from the Balkans to the area. Accordingly, 
The Hittites may have built the dwelling well before 1200 BCE if they had built it. According to other experts, the Phrygians may have built the underground city between 1200 BCE and 800 BCE. Many other groups established themselves in Cappadocia later, including Persians, Macedonians, Alexander the Great, Greeks, Armenians, Syrians, and many more. A Greek historian soldier named Xenophon wrote about underground cities in the Cappadocia kingdom in 370 BCE. Xenophon travelled throughout the region and spent time there. As he states in Anabasis, while entrances were tunneled down for the beasts of burden, the human inhabitants descended by ladders to their underground homes with a mouth like a well. Animals such as goats, sheep, cattle, fowl and young were kept in the houses where they ate their fodder. There have been many wars and instability in Derinkuyu and Anatolia's history. Through early associations with their Assyrian neighbours, the Hattians and later the Hittites established the Cappadocian region as a valuable trade zone. Its location as a central trade hub between Asia and Europe has attracted many tribes, and later large governments to control Anatolia for millennia. Therefore, many groups have invaded and conquered Anatolia for these reasons. The Romans conquered Cappadocia in 17 CE, and made it a Roman province under Emperor Tiberius. The underground cities in Cappadocia served as safe havens for Christian colonies during the very early days of Christianity. Muslims and Persians once again forced Christians to hide. Derinkuyu was further expanded around this time by many Greek Christians. Turks massacred hundreds of thousands of Greeks in the early 1900s, forcing the remainder of them to flee the underground city until the 20th century. Cappadocia has been home to many Greek lineages for thousands of years. Their underground refuge was abandoned permanently after this. According to Derinkuyu's creators, the underground dwellings served as refugees because they were designed with safety features. During raids, doors covered entrances and passages with a rollable disc-shaped stone with a small middle hole. The hole may have been used by soldiers to shoot arrows, or perhaps an intense beam allowed users to open and close the door more quickly. The doors could only be opened and locked from the inside, so it may have served as an early peephole. You could defend your village better with a small opening than with an open area. There are hallways connecting each level, each with a stone door. People had to go through narrow passages in single file as well. As a result, the defence against incoming soldiers was made much more accessible. Water contained in the underground city was also considered safe. Large wells appeared to serve as ventilation shafts. There were, however, not all wells connected to each other or reaching the surface in the city. Invaders who might poison the entire system from the outside would be prevented from doing so. During the summer, Derinkiyu was extremely hot, and in the winter it was freezing and snowy. Throughout the year, the underground temperature remained around 55 degrees, which was ideal for keeping animals cool, fresh water supplies and food fresh. There was also a considerable variation in daily temperatures. In addition to their incredible histories, Cappadocia and Derinkiyu have beautiful underground dwellings that date back thousands of years. 
visiting these places would be a dream come true for many people. Looking from a distance, however, may be the best approach. Even though many travel companies are interested in offering tours to Turkey, the Department of State has issued a travel warning for the country. Currently, the department discourages travel to that area. Engine design for the Bent Pyramid of Sneferu Standing at the Egyptian royal necropolis at Dashur, the Pyramid of Sneferu is one of the most unusual pyramids in ancient Egypt's history. Among Egypt's pyramid developments, it is unique. Because the pyramid was constructed with polish and shining Tura limestone, it was called the Southern Shining One. The Bent Pyramid was constructed by Sneferu, an Egyptian pharaoh from the Old Kingdom around 2600 BC. In later years, Khufu, the stepson of Sneferu, oversaw the construction of the fantastic pyramids at Giza. The pyramid stands 40 kilometers, 25 miles south of Cairo, on the west bank of the Nile. In the past, pyramids had been built on fertile ground, but this was a new development. The walls bend inwards instead of being built on a perfect pyramid shape for the top section. Despite 4,500 years of construction, the Bent Pyramid remains one of only five Old Kingdom pyramids in their original form. In the desert sun, the limestone casing of the pyramid shines. There is a 54 degree angle between the walls of the lower part of the pyramid. The steep slope abruptly flattened at 49 metres, or 161 feet, above the base. It is this bend that gives the pyramid its distinctive appearance. Because of its abrupt change in slope, the pyramid is known as the Bent Pyramid. The angle of the slope changes according to several theories. Sneferu may have intentionally reduced the slope angle after receiving news of Medum's collapse, according to one prominent theory. According to another popular theory, the pyramid may have taken a long time to build. Sneferu may have reduced the pyramid's angle to speed up construction. According to some scholars, the bent pyramid's odd shape may even have been purposefully planned for religious reasons. The shape of the pyramid has, however, been dismissed by most Egyptologists. The pyramid complex is surrounded by a yellowish-grey enclosure wall made of limestone. The main pyramid, a small temple, a satellite pyramid, and a small courtyard are within the division. The bent pyramid itself has two entrances. The pyramid's first entrance faces north at 12 meters 39 feet above ground level. To provide maximum convenience to tourists, wooden stairways have been constructed. Like the first entrance, the second leads to a chamber with a corbelled high roof. The section of the northern entrance is below ground level, while the western door is built on the body of the bent pyramid. Although vaulted ceilings were relatively common in later pyramid construction, they may have been unstable structurally. A change in angle for the top portion of the pyramid may have been caused by this uncertainty about the pyramid. The bent pyramid is connected to the small temple by a causeway paved with limestone blocks. There is a low limestone wall on each side of the causeway. The bent pyramid is believed to be connected to the landing stage or dock by a second causeway. A second causeway, however, has not yet been discovered. 
some fragments of the pyramid temple have been found to the east of the bent pyramid. Behind the pyramid temple, two stelae are present, as in the Medum pyramid's temple. In addition, no inscriptions were found. Despite only fragmentary remains, it is assumed that the temple resembled the temple at the Medum pyramid, which would support the theory that lessons learned from that complex were applied here. A satellite pyramid constructed nearby was thought to house the car or double of the pharaoh's soul, according to some Egyptologists. Compared to the bent pyramid, this smaller pyramid measures only 26 meters, 85 feet in height. Pyramid faces are inclined at 44 degrees, similar to the shallower top portion of the bent pyramid. Limestone blocks are arranged horizontally throughout the structure. One can access the burial chamber of the smaller pyramid through a descending corridor. This corridor is then connected to another ascending corridor that leads to a room by a horizontal passage. These corridors have a similar design to the Great Pyramid's halls. In the history of ancient Egypt, the Bent Pyramid was a unique structure. Possibly the first pyramid with smooth sides represents the glory years of pyramid construction. Not only is it one of Egypt's most unusual pyramids, but it is one of the best preserved. It is possible that the significant gap between the limestone blocks covering the pyramid kept the casing because the holes would have allowed room for the thermal expansion of the blocks without touching each other. More modern investigations followed, including those by Ahmad Fakhri in the early 1950s. The Bent Pyramid has been studied extensively, but several Egyptologists still believe that secrets are yet to be uncovered. The precise location of all pyramid chambers remains a mystery. It was often challenging to conduct archaeological studies due to strong winds that caused passageway drafts. There is speculation that some of the passageways or rooms of the Bent Pyramid remain undiscovered. Does this ancient and unique pyramid still hold some secrets? There are no remains of Pharaoh's Neferu to be found. Angkor Wat, the Khmer Empire's enduring pride. Cambodia's largest and most resplendent religious monument was built by King Suryavarman II in the 12th century. The most famous temple in Cambodia is Angkor Wat, surrounded by dense jungle with hundreds of beautiful temples. There are approximately 3.5 miles between the temple city of Angkor Wat and the present-day city of Siem Reap, southeast of the ancient capital of Baphuam. The Hindu god Shiva was the deity of most temples before Angkor Wat. There was, however, something different about this temple. In addition to the ocean and mountain temples, the temple grounds were designed to represent the universe. As a tribute to Vishnu, Suryavarman II turned his masterpiece west, the direction associated with Vishnu, instead of east, the direction associated with the sun. Khmer Empire's enduring pride, the Khmer Empire's capital city was centered around Angkor Wat. Suryavarman's vast kingdom was evident in the temple's wealth and power. Moreover, it is a statement of lasting religious devotion and one of the most stunning examples of artistic architecture.
It is the only temple in Angkor that has been continuously used by worshippers since its construction. Never has it fallen into disuse. The Angkor Archaeological Park is located in the Siem Reap province of Cambodia, home to Angkor Wat. A network of hundreds of temples and shrines make up the park, one of Asia's most important archaeological treasures. To protect the temples, the park was declared a World Heritage Site by UNESCO in 1992. The researchers Evans et al. described it as the world's largest pre-industrial settlement complex and a highly sophisticated water management system. Many temple sites were once capital cities of the Khmer Empire, covering about 400 square kilometers or 154 square miles. More than a million people lived within the boundaries of Angkor at its peak. Around 802 CE, a Brahmin priest declared the Hindu ruler, Jayavarman II, a Devaja, or universal god-king, beginning the age of Angkor. Angkor means king of the gods, as explained in the following excerpt from Britannica. Both Hindu and indigenous traditions contributed to the Devaraja cult. The Linga, or Lingam, a phallic idol housed in a unique mountain temple, symbolized the divine nature of the king, who was a manifestation of the Hindu god Siva. Temple architecture of the Khmer period demonstrates the importance of the Linga's safeguarding and the kingdom's security. Many smaller feuding groups in Southeast Asia before Jayavarman II became king. Jayavarman II united the Khmer people of Southeast Asia by conquering Cambodia's territories into Laos. An elaborate ceremony followed the celebration on the Phnom Kulin Plateau of the beautiful Siem Reap mountain range. Scholars disagree on whether Java refers to the island or the Cham people who live there. Jayavarman II became the universal monarch or god-king at this ceremony. His new capital was named Hariharalaya, after the Hindu god Shiva, and was located in what is now Roluos. Phnom Kulin and Kutisvara temples were constructed by King Jayavarman II. The god-kings that followed Jayavarman II inherited a powerful and wealthy kingdom. As time progressed, they built more elaborate and extensive temples. The intricate style and craftsmanship of Angkor Wat can be found throughout the period. Millions of travellers visit the region every year. Bricks, clay, laterite, sandstone and wood were the primary materials used to construct Angkor's temples. As with the main Angkor temple, early Khmer builders mainly used bricks when building temples. Later they used sandstone. In the entire kingdom, only temples were made of sandstone. Private homes and parts of temples made from wood have since rotted away. At first, each temple featured a shrine or sanctuary dedicated to Shiva or Vishnu. The temples were places of worship for Hindu gods, ancestors and god-kings. Shiva was the deity of most Khmerian temples. The temple, however, was devoted to Vishnu by King Suryavarman II. Shiva's idol was a lingam, and other idols were anthropomorphic statues. Vishnu was once a statue at the center of Angkor Wat. Angkor Wat remains the most stunning and renowned temple, despite many beautiful ones coming later. 
It is a pyramidal temple constructed by the Khmer people in the 12th century. Symbolizing cosmological and landscape elements, the complex extends outwardly. About 500 acres of land are devoted to the temple. Each level has a gallery, hall or walkway higher than the previous one. A tall tower stands at the center of the temple on the highest level. Hindu gods live on Mount Meru, whose peaks are represented by these. As a symbol of the ocean, a moat 620 feet wide surrounds the outer walls of the building. As a primary material for building Angkor Wat, sandstone brick was used. Phnom Kulin Mountain was surrounded by quarries. It has long been a mystery how this big temple could have been built in only 37 years by the Khmer people. The route from the quarry to the site was initially mapped out 54 miles away by experts. Waseda University researchers Etsu Uchida and Ichita Shimoda studied satellite images recently. The jungles had swallowed up canals and roads. There are only 22 miles between the quarry and the new route established by the team. Approximately 5 million to 10 million blocks were hauled from the quarry site to build the main temple by Khmer workers. Over 1,860 carved apsaras, heavenly nymphs, and hundreds of meters of elaborate bas-reliefs depict Hindu legends and everyday life scenes. In addition to Bantea Samre, Tomanon, Chao Setevoda, and Beng Mealea, other temples dating to Suryavarman II's reign are located east of the capital. A study at the University of Sydney was announced in 2015 as the Great Angkor Project. In their exploration of Angkor Wat, they made some exciting discoveries. During the excavations, airborne laser scanning and ground-penetrating radar were used. As it turned out, the temple complex was much larger than previously thought. Furthermore, the scanning revealed a colossal structure that had not been visible before. This patterning is called rectilinear spirals. It covers an area of more than 1,500 by 600 meters and flanks the temple's south side. In the Angkorian world, there is no comparable structure to this one. On the west side, the team also discovered buried towers. The towers were probably demolished and buried nearby in the aftermath of the building. A shrine may have been used during construction by the builders. Subsequent rulers continued to build temples after King Suryavarman died in 1150 CE. Prayakan, Taprom, Angkor Tom and Bantea Chma are examples. As the Khmer converted to Buddhism, Angkorian architecture declined. About half a century ago this happened. Khmer Empire's golden period gave rise to Angkor Wat. As power declined and another religion took over, the building survived. As the temple became Theravada Buddhist, devotees never lost their enthusiasm. A statue of Vishnu was removed from the central shrine and replaced with a statue of Buddha. Angkor Archaeological Park is still inhabited by more than 100,000 people today. Millions of visitors worldwide flock to see the temple, which continues to serve as a center for Buddhist worship. A study at the University of Sydney was announced in 2015 as the Great Angkor Project. In their exploration of Angkor Wat, they found some exciting discoveries. 
During the excavations, airborne laser scanning and ground-penetrating radar were used. As it turned out, the temple complex was much larger than previously thought. Furthermore, the scanning revealed a colossal structure that had not been visible before. This patterning is called rectilinear spirals. It covers an area of more than 1500 by 600 meters and flanks the temple's south side. In the Angkorian world, there is no comparable structure to this one. Hobby Lobby has hundreds of incredible products on sale every single week. Just check out our weekly ad to discover unbelievable savings across the store and start shopping in-store or online at HobbyLobby.com today. Thank <laughs> you. 